0: Well, good morning everyone, it's lovely to see you here at uh, one today. My name is Tim Horman, I'm the senior minister here. If you don't know me, if you're visiting for the first time, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the service we've had already this morning, beautiful time in your presence. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come, fill this place with your Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, open our ears, open our hearts, And Lord, we we thank you for what you are doing in this world. We get to celebrate at Christmas time. And what a blessing it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're in this series on the first chapter of John, which is uh, our Advent series in the lead up to Christmas, and just a week away. And We're at the last section of this series this morning. We're gonna be looking at verses 16 to 18. We'll get to those in just a moment. But a few years ago, I read um, about a time when the Australian author, Patrick White, who you'll see on the screen, who is arguably the greatest writer that Australia has ever produced and the only Australian author to ever uh, ever win the Nobel Prize for literature, I read about a time when Patrick White decided to go to church. Now, Patrick White was an atheist. Um, he, He actually described himself as a lapsed, Anglican, egotist, agnostic, pantheist, occultist, existentialist, would be though failed Christian Australian. So you can see it was somewhat complicated. Uh, But just before Christmas in 1951, White went outside on a stormy wet night to feed his dogs and slipped in his muddy garden and fell on his back. And it was while lying face up on the ground, covered in mud and dog food, that he started to curse God for his rotten luck. And in that moment, he had a conversion-like experience, which White described as a recognition that he'd been pretending to himself for years that he did not believe in God. And this is what he wrote. I lay where I had fallen, half-blinded by the rain, under a bruised purple sky, cursing through watery lips, a God in whom I did not believe. I began laughing finally at my own helplessness and hopelessness, in the mud and the stench in my filthy old oil skin. And he got up and ran back into his house and told his partner that he'd had an encounter with God and that they needed to go to the church that Sunday. And White did and they attended church for a while, but unfortunately he ended up leaving somewhat dejected because he said the bleak legalism of the sermons and the wretched music eventually failed him. Thank, thank God we don't have wretched music in this church. Can we thank our musicians this morning? Beautiful, They're leading us so well today. Now, White had experienced something that night of the awe and the wonder that the reality of God should inspire in us. But what he found in church instead was mostly crusty moralizing sermons on the evils of society, like listening to the radio, it was the 50s, and gambling. And there was almost zero transcendence. He later wrote that if the church had presented Jesus to him, in his words, as visceral and muscular, as something he could touch, as something alive," he wrote, "I might have been one for Christianity without a struggle. I just could not accept that Victorian oleograph that is like a fake copy of a real painting, that Victorian oleograph, version of the Savior that we pretty bar lambs were expected to adore. Now, what a tragedy, what a tragedy. Imagine if one of the greatest writers that this country has ever produced had actually landed in a church that could introduce him to the living Jesus. Now, I expect that many of us here this morning probably feel the same way, or at times have felt this way, that the church is meant to be a place where we gather to hear the truth, yes, but also to experience together the beauty and the wonder of the presence and power of God. Now, I'm sure there are many here who do feel overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and what he's done for them. But others, others of us may be in a season where it seems it is as if Jesus has been taken from us up into the clouds and he feels distant or irrelevant. Some of us may be in a season of serious emotional turmoil or pain or perhaps intense temptation to sin or disappointment or spiritual inertia or just plain weariness. Does anyone feel weary at this time of the year? You know, and in in these times, we can so easily drift from the Lord, from our first love, because perhaps Jesus just no longer inspires us like he once did. Some of us may perhaps feel more bored again than born again. Sorry. (laughs) That was bad, wasn't it? Our passage, John 1, 16 to 18, on the screen says this, out of his fullness, and this is the last couple of verses from this incredible chapter, the opening chapter in John. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So the law of Moses was an act of grace, absolutely, but it was inadequate, it was not enough. And it seems as though Patrick White got mostly the law of Moses preached to him instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the law can't change our hearts. Uh, Yes, it came with great power. If you know the story, when God descended on Mount Sinai and there was lightning and thunder and the dark cloud and the people were on their faces before the glory of God. Yes, the law came with great power and it was an act of incredible grace because it was in this moment that God turned a nation of landless and oppressed slaves into the children of God, his own special possession. It is one of the most important hinge moments in all of human history. So yes, it was grace, absolutely, but it was not enough. And the law was never intended to be enough. And in the place of grace already given, a better revelation of God's grace has come, a fuller revelation. And not just another set of laws to follow, but a grace that could be seen and touched and felt and known face to face. No one has ever seen God, says John, but Jesus the Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Jesus the Son took on flesh and made His dwelling among us as verse 14 says, which Linda preached on last week, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. I don't know about you, but there's more in these few verses than my mind can handle. This moment of God coming among us in Jesus, revealing the glory of God is meant to, I think. It's meant to send shockwaves of awe and wonder and amazement through our souls. You know, when anyone ever encountered or came with even a hair's breadth of the glory of God in the Old Testament, they would fall on their faces and tremble in holy fear, unable to stand. And although we haven't seen Jesus face to face in the flesh, we know that his spirit is here and the work of the spirit is to draw our hearts and minds into the presence of Jesus, to shine the spotlight on him and to cause us to be recaptivated and to recalibrate our lives around Jesus. The spirit is the ongoing revelation of the glory and presence of Jesus in this time of the physical absence of Jesus. That's what the Spirit was given to do. That's what Jesus said the Spirit would do. His number one task, Jesus said, is that the Spirit will take of what is mine and make it known to you. He will take what I have and he will give it to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And incidentally, the Holy Spirit was poured out, as we know, on the the day of Pentecost with great glory, which is also the day that Israel would celebrate the giving of the law of Moses. In the place of the law, we now have the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. And mostly what that means is he just shows us Jesus. (laughs) Um, I love what Philip Yancey says about this next slide. For me, Jesus is the focal point of faith. And increasingly, I'm learning to keep the magnifying glass of my faith focused on him. In my spiritual journey, I have long lingered in the margins, puzzling over matters like the problem of pain, the conundrum of prayer, providence versus free will. When I do so, everything becomes fuzzy. Looking at Jesus, however, restores clarity. And I found that to be true in my life as well. Sometimes I too get so bogged down in difficult questions, but I find when I come back to Jesus with childlike faith, with simple awe and wonder, it is like shampoo for my soul and my mind. It is so easy in this world where we have so much stuff, where we have so much technology, where everything is incredible all the time to lose sight of the wonder of Jesus. The author Simon Ponsonby asks this question, next slide, have you ever noticed the way the disciples reacted to Jesus? They'd been with him day and night for three years. They had seen his mind-boggling signs and wonders, healings and miracles. They had heard him speak the most profound teaching, and they had observed him live the most perfect life. But this familiarity and proximity to Jesus never bored them. It bred only wonder. Jesus never ceased to amaze them. Every day with him brought something new to cause their eyes to pop and their mouths to drop. I think they spent most of their time with their jaws aching because their mouths were wide open in wonder at this amazing Jesus. Amazing is correct. In modern life, this word amazing has become so overused and devalued, like everything is amazing. You know, the latest Netflix series, that new restaurant, the latest Miracle Diet, latest model Tesla, the new iPhone, everything's amazing all the time. But like Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride says, this word that you use, I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) I'm not gonna try doing that in a Spanish accent and offend anyone who actually has a Spanish accent. But when we come to scripture, when it comes to the meaning of Christmas, the coming of Christ in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, now that is amazing. That is really, really amazing. And when we truly see Jesus, when we encounter him and we comprehend who he is and what he's done for us, there is this sense, I think, where we're knocked sideways, we're flabbergasted, we're astonished, we're overwhelmed, we tremble at the wonder of it all. It is truly mind-blowing. Mild interest about Jesus just shows, I think, that we've not really met him. As C.S. Lewis once said, next slide, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The reality is, friends, Jesus is amazing. I still remember the time when I was about 14 at a camp at Forest Edge, And I experienced the kind of tangible presence of God for the first time ever really in my life. And I had no idea, I had no idea that you could experience a love like that. And I spent most of the night weeping. This has only happened to me a few times in my life since, but honestly, there is nothing like it in the world. When you encounter Jesus, when you experience his love, there's no human love like it. There's no drug, there's no amount of money, there's no success or amount of fame that can even come close. There is no greater experience of meaning and truth and grace and love than the presence of Jesus. There's no word adequate enough to describe it. Now John is probably right though, the best that we may be able to do is simply to say, it's glory, it's glory. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. Glory is probably the right word. Uh, And inspired by the writing of Simon Ponsonby, who I mentioned a minute ago, I wanna share this with you. I want you to consider some things about Jesus. I want you to consider with me this morning just how amazing Jesus really is. Are you ready? Turn to the person next to you and say, yes, we're ready. In the beginning, in the beginning, Jesus reigned divine in unapproachable light and incomparable glory. He created all things and sustains all things by his powerful word. He was endlessly worshiped by millions upon millions of angels. He overflowed in perfect love and created humans in his image to share that love with them. He created a paradise and gave himself to us in a garden of delights. He gave us free will so that we could love him in return in freedom and not as slaves. He did not turn away when we turned away but kept advancing toward us open armed. He covered our nakedness and our shame. He never gave up on us, never rejected us, never stopped loving us. He chased us through the corridors and contours of history. He revealed himself in creation and conscience in words and wonders. He chose his servant Israel to reveal his glory to the world. He graced us with law and temple and sacrifice so that we could stand before him in his presence. He planned and prophesied and prepared his particular coming to us because he is amazing. And then he wed himself to human flesh in virgin womb. He took upon himself our nature so that he might give his nature to us. He dwelt among us as one of us and drank the earthly cup to its dregs. At age 30, he left obscurity and began his public ministry and he spoke like no man has ever spoken before. And people who heard him were amazed and some were afraid and some were angry. And he called people to leave everything and follow him. And he said he was bringing in the kingdom of God. And he showed us that he was the king of that kingdom. And he showed us that his kingdom was a kingdom of kindness and not of violence. And he showed us that this was a powerful kingdom where lives are transformed and he gave us the keys to that kingdom and he forgave the sins of the adulterous woman and the cripple who got up and walked and he tenderly touched the leper and healed their skin and removed their shame and he bent double with compassion at the suffering that he saw in those around him. And he raised the dead boy and gave him back to his mother. And he raised the dead girl and gave her back to his father. And he raised his dead friend and gave him back to his sisters. And he opened the eyes of the blind and he opened the ears of the deaf. And he opened the prisons of the tormented and he opened the minds of the questioning. And he opened the way for God to us. He is amazing. Oh, we're just getting warmed up here, church. And he fed. 5,000 hungry pilgrims with five small loaves and two small fish. And he commanded the wind and waves to obey him, and they did. And he ordered the evil spirits to depart, and they did. And he taught us to pray to God as Father, and he called his disciples friends. And he was heartbroken for the for society's outcasts and he was transfigured and revealed in all his glory and he wept at the tomb of his friend and he was homeless with nowhere to lay his head and he made friends with tax collectors and sinners and betrayers and he loved the rich young ruler who loved his money more than God. And he turned over the tables in the temple to stop the money changers ripping off the poor And he prayed for us to know God's love and protection and to see his glory. And he gave us bread and wine to join us to him and us to one another. He is amazing. And he intimidated the authorities and he provoked his enemies and wicked men and evil spirits conspired to kill him. And he faced down the fear and he embraced his destiny and he welcomed the betrayer with a kiss and still called him his friend. He did it all willingly of his own volition because he loved us and scheming men sat in judgment upon him and they condemned him and handed him over and they spat on him and beat him and mocked him and nailed him and killed him and he took it all as a willing ransom for our sins. And he who knew no sin became sin for us and God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he entered God forsakenness for our sake and by his stripes we are healed. And he drenched the earth with his blood, not anyone else's. And he washed us whiter than snow. And his executors said, truly, this man was the son of God and they laid him in a stone-cold tomb and he descended to the depths. Where? He preached freedom to the prisoners and he set the captives free and he shattered the bonds of death and he had the last word as he pushed the stone away and canceled the debt of sin as he satisfied the justice of God and redeemed us all from hell and death and disarmed the demonic powers and brought us home from exile because he is amazing. Amen. And he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father in our stead. And there he prays for us day and night. And he sent the Spirit's power to be with us forever. And he asked for nothing from us but faith and love. And he placed us in a family and he sent us out to tell others about this love that we have found. And he is praying for us at the right hand of God, even right now, and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he is coming back to be with us and he'll judge the living and the dead Dead, and he'll wipe away our tears, and he'll drive away our fears, and he'll heal our wounded years, and he will fully, finally vanquish all evil, and he will make all things new. Meanwhile, this amazing Jesus is still healing, still cleansing, still delivering, still inviting and. Some two billion people will now follow him and many millions suffer for their faith. And one day, friends, one day, the whole earth will be covered with his glory and he is called Jesus, which means God saves. And he is called Emmanuel, which means God is here. And he is called the Lord, the one who is over us and for us and he will never leave us or forsake us because Jesus truly is amazing. Friends, how can we possibly describe the immensity of this love, the immensity of the glory of God, the awe and wonder that his love should inspire in our weary souls? No words will do. It's like trying to empty the ocean with a spoon. But as the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's what Christmas means, that in the love and the presence and the glory of God, we would feel our worth as children made in his image, as people who are loved, people that he was willing to die for. So yes, the coming of Jesus teaches us our worth for nothing can affirm the human soul like the love of God. And what is there to do in response than this, next slide, fall on your knees, praise his name forever. Friends, Jesus is amazing, Jesus is glorious, Jesus is the most important thing in the whole world. And if you don't know Jesus and you would like to, or if you've grown cold in your hearts toward Jesus and today you would like his love to be rekindled in your soul, uh, you're just longing for more, more of his love and grace, more of his presence and power. I'm just gonna invite you all to stand right now and we're gonna open up our hands and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and encourage us again.